0: Amen, 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 amen. Don't make fun of my the way I'm talking. I got a little sinus infection. I see some of y'all giggling because I'm real nasal this morning. So just bear with your boy, and um, we're going to walk through these verses by God's grace. We're in chapter 4, verses 21 through 31 um, of Galatians. And um we've been in this series, and it's been a blessed series in talking about life in light of the gospel. Can you say that? I hope you never get tired of the gospel. I hope that you see that the gospel, the purpose of the gospel is not just to save you from hell. Let me say that again. The purpose of the gospel, matter of fact, the first thing you were saved from was God's wrath. But God didn't save you from anything, only he saved you for something also. And so in the reality of the gospel and God saving us from himself, saving us from his wrath, saving us from his justice, saving us from the holy extension of his right hand KOing us eternally. Um, he also saves us from uh, the realities and pitfalls that the world will bring until we die or Jesus comes back. So that means sanctification, spiritual growth, ushering us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And so Paul has kind of been from chapter 1 through chapter 4, 20, kind of walking us through um, the reality of why the gospel must be embraced for every aspect of life. Um, So there's no area of one's life that should not be covered, um, that should not uh, be touched, that, that, that should not be changed by the reality of the gospel every area of our life must show signs of redemption in other words signs of redemption when sign of redemption in other words every area of your life has to reflect this the fact that god is purchasing stuff in other words god in the idea of redemption buys back cops it for his own usage And and when every area of our life is being touched on some level, it won't be fully realized until glorification. But in every area of our lives must be touched by the reality and the nutrition and the fluidity and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we preach the gospel, we preach a gospel here that is a two-sided coin or a three-sided coin, rather. It justifies us. It sanctifies us. But then it also glorifies us. And so in this text that we're in right now, it's an interesting text. It's probably, I mean, I mean, this text was harder than a mug when I was studying it. I mean, it was a beast of a text. It, I, I hadn't encountered studying a text this hard. Like, it, it's going to sound simple now, but I'm just letting you know. It, it was a monster. I hadn't... Since we was in, the, in, in Pastor Deuce's living room, d- going verse by verse through First Corinthians, because Corinthians had some hard verses. Man, this joint was a monster. Even the commentators ain't had. They just had. They would just stand on it. I mean, ain't had much They were arguing with each other. Usually they agree on at least one thing. They ain't agree on hardly anything. So I had to depend on the Ghost of God. Amen. And so, he's <laughs> going to do that anyway. But you know, you do every now and then want to know if some. Uh, you don't want. You don't want stuff you teach to be the first time people heard it or the first time it's ever taught? Because that ain't really biblical. Like Cass saying, oh, for the first time in my spirit has been dropped a word from God right for you. (laughs) We we just, look, we just repeating, listen, we just, we just repeating stuff to our generation that's been said for over 2,000 years. That's what we're supposed to do. And so since we believe that every word from God is breathed, we got to get up in this text. I like going verse by verse because you can't just, like most pastors just say, I'm just going to do a highlight of the Galatians series. And that just means the hard text, I'm going to go around, you know, the ones that are easy, I'm going to tap them up and have everybody on their feet running around um, doing their thing. But but you got to get in all of the words of God, amen? I want to read it first, and then we're going to dive into it. I'm going to just talk about a few things, and we're going to discuss some stuff and get some application. All right, verse 21, chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also also it is now. But what what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave uh, woman and her son for the son of the slave A woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, you are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Y'all see why I was walking through that thing this week, don't y'all? Some of y'all was grunting and looking. But this is a beautiful text when you understand the whole idea of what Paul is doing. He actually, this is a masterpiece. I mean, this is why you can't afford in your devotional time just to skip over stuff. you got to read everything. (laughs) Just a word to you. If you've never read through the Bible at least once, you're missing out. You need to read through every word of God at least once. So we come here, and I'm going to just talk about today. I'm going to just name this message. The Gospel, God's Promises, God's Terms. The Gospel, God's Promises, God's Terms. You know in this passage, Paul basically is climaxing like it's it 's kind of like a song um um it, it 's like at the end of the song, you go through the vamp, and when you get to the vamp of the song you 're climaxing everything you 've said into in the song in the crescendo of the vamp, then you fade the track off that 's what this kinda is uh in in relation to epistolitarian material or letters. And so what you see Paul doing is Paul is murderous with his idea of saying, look, instead of arguing again, I'm going to give you a theological example. And this is something Paul does something that no Christian can do. Why? Paul was an apostle under the inspiration of the spirit being carried along by the spirit to say the words of God. So the way he utilized the Old Testament here is beautiful and very unique. He says, he says, in verse 21, he says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So basically, he's beginning with saying, I, I hear y'all saying y'all want to live under the law, but I, I just want to know clearly whether or not you actually listen to the reality of what the law says within the framework of the law. But then he goes forth and then he says, which brings me to my first point, um, God's promises are fulfilled through his ordained means let me say that again god's promises are fulfilled through god's ordained means stay with me all of this is going somewhere he says for it is written that abraham had two sons one by a slave woman and one by a free woman so you go back you go back to genesis chapter 15 chapter 16 and chapter 17 genesis chapter 15 chapter 16 chapter 17 but then also genesis chapter 21 and what you see when you go back to those passages is a unique account of abraham and sarah and a, and a, and a lady named Hagar. now what's beautiful is in this passage is paul is still in the context of the gospel So he's using an example from his extraction from narrative literature under the law to show us what it looks like reflectively in the New Testament. And I'm going to talk about that so you can really understand how he does this, because this is a real good lesson on hermeneutics. God's promises are fulfilled through his ordained means. So you have here, it says, for it is written that Abraham... Had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So, what he begins talking about is he says, to understand the reality of the law, you have to, and what it, his what purpose was, and to really understand the depth of the gospel, you have to understand the system of God's promises. But this is beautiful because what he does is he wants to teach the Christian a lesson in how to use the gospel as a way to walk in fulfillment of God's promises. In the New Testament era, there is no promise that can be fulfilled without the gospel. Let me say that again. I don't care how smooth you are. I don't care. I don't care how you pray. Oh Lord God, our oh Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless All of that. That. Your church culture. None of that. If the gospel is not the means by which you are unlocking the promise keeper's promises, then a promise will not be fulfilled. And so what, what Paul is saying is, like, what was the mechanism even before the law was instituted in which God executed and pressed out his promises? And he says, listen, Abraham had two sons. Abraham had two sons. You gotta go back. God gave Abraham a promise, said you're gonna have your baby um through Sarah. He said, All right, cool. Time went past. <clears throat> God ain't seen to provide. <laughs> and so Sarah one day said, Look, I know all that God talk you be doing and all that kind of kind of. You know, I believe God too. Um, but I'm I'm about to give you my my servant, Hagar. He's like, Um, you wanna give me I mean what you want me to do with her? Um And he she she's like she's like I mean, I want you to marry her and I want you to go into her. he's far be it from I mean, you want me to I mean I, well I, I guess you know, since we gotta fulfill the promise of God, I guess I'll have to I guess I'll have to um get with home girl. And so and so and so so all of a sudden they moved because listen you got to understand fifth chapter 15 verse 6 it says when god promised abraham it says and abraham believed god and it was accounted to him as righteousness so you see abraham starting in faith what you see is abraham starting a walk of faith i mean he's been i mean if you chart characteristically his growth from chapter 12 to chapter 15 he's made a lot of leaps God even put him to sleep, appeared to him, swore by his own name in chapter 15, walked between the two sacrifices, and said he will keep it if it depends on his life. So now you get to chapter 16 when they're getting kind of tired of God's timing. Have you ever in your life got tired of God's timing? Have you ever... Like, when you remember the first time you heard something from God through the Word, that was a word from me. I believe that when I was sitting down, there was nobody else in the room but me. You journaled it, you wrote in the margin of your Bible, and you prayed about it that night and said, I got peace. But then all of a sudden, God takes his time. You don't pick up the Bible that you wrote in the margin from anymore. You don't. I, most of us don't go back to our journals and actually read them. And so what happens is, is we're like one of the, the parable in the parable of parables who receive the word of God with joy. But then when the worries of the world come up, they get choked out of us. And what Paul is saying is he's saying, I want you to go back and I want you to look at how Abe handled it because he started by faith, but he went by human means versus God's means. See, God will never let you get away with using your own means to fulfill His promises. <laughs> you know, you know what? It, it, it kind of reminds me of, of, of getting stuff fixed. You know, some guys when, when my car, when my car broke down, I said, dang, I ain't got no loot right now, man." And then bubbling them around the corner to chew gum and got all all on their shirt. You know what I'm saying? I say, man, I could take it to the dealer, but the dealer they tripping. But like. I could take it to Bubba, Bubba, and get it fixed. Sometimes when you take your stuff to Bubba, and um, Bubba, oh, I know exactly what it is. I, I know, I I know exactly what it is. He get up under the car, click, click, click. I'll be back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> your car works for a week, <laughs> but after a week. You're like, bubble. I ain't got no warranties or nothing. I mean, you bought it to me. You got it for cheaper price. You know you bring it around the corner. That's what I was going to do. That's what I was going to do. And you're like, dang, man. So now I got to go. I got to take, like, it's broke. I done spent money. Now I got to go to the dealer. Now, when you go to the dealer, even though they charge a little bit more, they put something in your car and plug it into a computer. And it tells them what's wrong, and they go and work on it. Why? Because they have the proper diagnosis system to diagnose the issue and make things get better. See, many times, many of us have jerry-rigged Christian lives. In other words, because we're impatient with God's timing, we want short-term solutions to these problems. But the issue is, like Pastor Deuce was talking about in Passover reflection, you're going to have to learn what it's going to take to take the long road. The long road is more painful. The long road is more frustrating. The long road is tiring. The long road fatigues. The the long road has a lot of tears. The the long road has a lot of frustrations. The long road is, 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 it gets on your last nerves. However, the long road brings maturity. The long road brings development. The long road brings wisdom. Listen, when are you going to, you've done it a lot of times, you've jerry-rigged your Christian life a million times and have gotten jacked up solutions. When in the world are you going to realize that you can't jerry-rig a Christian life? you got to walk by faith in the Christian life. And so Paul says, listen, it doesn't matter who you are. There is no way, shape, or form that you can fulfill the promises of God on your own. And so Abraham, listen, this is the thing that Abraham looked at. I don't know if any of y'all look at this because you know, the Bible said in chapter two that Abraham believed God and that when he was actually believing in uh, the gospel. But listen to what happened. They kind of, there's some things that just kind of snagged this thing. Now I know nobody deals with this in their walk of faith with Jesus. You know, when they're believing God for different things based on the Bible. Amen. Um, they looked at um, their biological clock. They looked at their biological clock. They said, "Look, life is getting a little too long. You know, we waiting on God, and I, you know, a menopause and everything done happen. You know what I'm saying? Everything done paused. I done paused. My eyes done paused. Um, all types of stuff is just on pause." How many of y'all looking at y'all biological clocks? How how many of y'all want to get married? But you want to compromise? He got a six pack. He got I mean, he go to church. I mean, he he I mean, he coming Sunday. He coming Sunday telling you, man, she be praying like a mug, man. I'm telling you, man. But then when you get in the understand, like, see, the question is, what does the Bible promise? See, 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 he that finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with the Lord. Some of y'all girls say, I'm going to slip him my note. I'm going to slip him a note. Listen. That's not God's promise. Some of you sisters are just as fidgety as you can be. And, your, and, and, and the Bible says that a real Christian that values God's promises, 2 Peter chapter 1, has moral excellence. What is moral excellence? A commitment to a standard. If you're not committed to biblical standards based on the gospel as the means to bring about the promise, then you are going to be jerry-rigging your Christian life. So he, he looked at his biological clock. Not only that, they got impatient with God's timing. We talked about that. They also, they believed that God had made a promise and didn't fulfill it. See, even in the context of Galatians, with this idea, Paul is doing a masterful job marrying these two texts together. Is they believe like God starts it, I finish it. God begins, I begins. You know, we got some some kind of jerry-rig theolo- theological prepositions. Like we believe that. You know, let me let me tell you some famous lies um some famous lies that even the world says but i've heard preachers say the bible says that if you take one step god will take two now i am real interested to find out where in the what bible version that is because see when you don't understand god's promises you begin lying on God about stuff that he never promised. There's a, there's another one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I heard a famous preacher say that. And I'm trying to figure out where in the Bible is that. Now why am I saying this? Because It's not enough to believe in the gospel if you don't have the promise right. See, you can get the gospel right. The Galatians had the gospel of justification right, but they didn't have the gospel of sanctification right. And so because of that, it made zigzags in their Christian life. And so that's why it's of intentional and beefy importance that you stare in the face of the reality of the gospel over and over and over again. Now, check this out. There's a fourth thing that they did, that that, that Abraham and Sarah did, that I think is interesting for us today. They allowed what was culturally acceptable to override what was spiritually required. Let me say that again. <laughs> they allowed what was culturally acceptable to overwrite what was spiritually required. What was spiritually required? Faith, faith in what and who? Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, what they did was they say, "Well, you know, people around us, you know, it was a, it was a little it was a little law that was out. Like if your wife was barren, culturally it was cool." To go get another woman or a slave, make her your wife go into her. Now, that was culturally acceptable. But in relation to the promise, it was a violation. Because the way God promised it is that Sarah was going to have an offspring, not somebody else was going to have an offspring. What in your culture? What on your MySpace page? What, what on your Facebook page is culturally acceptable, but biblically a violation. In our lives, like, like we're such a culturally, cultural, relevant, culturally cool, smooth type, earring, gla- sunshades, and you know, all that type. But my question is biblically, biblically, how do we allow our understanding of God's promises to influence how we culturally engage, because see, I know that it's culturally okay. Like, like I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I was talking to some kids in Detroit, and I had to teach on the biblical view of sex. And and I'm not railing on anything. I was just like, I'm trying to understand it. 1983 to 1989, as I was coming through, like. Sisters couldn't like be overly tomboyish, but like nowadays, you go on the block, like I remember in the hood, it was it was kind of illegal, like in, in the hood, like if a sister was that it was crazy, but it's become culturally acceptable. I'm not talking about dress, I'm talking about attitude of the soul, where it's become normative for there to be monocultural types of men, monocultural types of women. We've created beautiful names for sweet dudes, metrosexuals. Like now, like like 20 years ago that wasn't metro. That was a mess. That's what it was 20 years ago. So he likes to he likes to clean up and dress a lot nice. But the reason why I'm saying that is because Paul is trying to get us to understand how does the gospel speak to everything? <clears throat> how does the gospel speak to our cultural relevance? You, there are many artists in here. What are the, like, in, when you think through your artistry, how do you think through the promises of God and the gospel in relation to your influence as an artist? and your execution of your artistry see we're still in the text because what did we see happen they allowed cultural relevance to override biblical principles and so even though one of our core values is cultural relevance if you read under it it says that we exegete the bible before we exegete the culture that's very very important so we can't try to be relevant and leave behind biblical nutrients as a way to reach people because you're not reaching people. You're just getting them in the room. There's a difference. And so you see how your man ate like he uses Abraham as a, as a banging example of that. But then when you go to Genesis, now we're still in here because he says, for it is written that, the, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So he's talking about Hagar. And he's talking about his, uh, 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 Abraham's wife, uh, Sarah. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through promise. Now, he does something dope. He basically talks about the fact Abraham's birth, I mean, uh, Isaac's birth. When you go back to Genesis chapter 17, God restates to Isaac, I mean, God restates to Abraham the, the reality of the, fact, of the covenant. God told uh, Abraham, he said, listen, fam. He says, and then he goes on to the 21, he says, in chapter 21, he says, listen, I know what you, you did some culturally relevant stuff over here, like trying to be cool and relevant and trying to bring my promises to pass in your own power. But God said, when I make a promise and I give you the terms of that promise, I am going to bring the promise to pass exactly how, like, this is not a hiccup. This is not a divine hiccup what you did. You, this, you're not on point. I'm not bringing my promise to pass on your terms. Now, <clears throat> God is so loving that he restated the promise and re promised Abraham the promise. He says in chapter 17, he re promises Abraham, but then he said, I'm just telling you, I'm going to do some things with, with Ishmael. He's going to be I, He's going he to be, be the, the father of the Arab nations. All right? But I'm telling you, Isaac is the one through whom the promise is going to come. And so what he does is he restates the promise. And what's beautiful about God is when we've made mistakes and trying to bring promises to pass on our own, in our own strength and in our own power. God is so dope and loving that he says, yo, I'm not going to let your mistake override my passion to bring forth my promises. And so if you made a mistake in here today, that's what he's calling the Galatians back to. If you made a mistake in here today. Any mishap, God is saying to you, "I want to restate my promise to you today. I want to restate my promise to you because I'm still requiring of you what I said based on the scriptures." Now I'm not talking. About, now let me explain a promise. A promise ain't what dropped in your spirit. I gotta say that y'all. Yeah, like it ain't. I feel. I, 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 a promise ain't a feeling. Because when you're really walking in a promise, sometimes you don't feel like walking in a promise. So it ain't the Lord told me to do this, and the Lord told me to do that, and all of that kind of carrying on. Because then you're lying on God. Talking about he'll fulfill promises that he won't. You know, we in Christian culture got all types of promises that we twist. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, we kind of exonerate delight yourself in the Lord. And we just kind of zoom in on he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so what we do based on the promises, we want the desires of our heart, but we don't want the desires of God. See, if you don't delight yourself in him, your desires can't become his. So people are getting mad because you say, God, I really wanted this. But God says, first off, that's not a part of the gospel and that's not something I do. And then we get bitter at God and want him to switch up, but he's same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So he ain't changing. So somebody that means somebody else got to change. I don't know who they are. <laughs> but that means somebody else has to change. That's helping somebody today. Because you walk around here bitter, angry, going from church to church, because God ain't fulfilling your promises. But he only fulfills his promises by his own means. But then, this is this is another one. Ask anything in His name, and He'll do it. <laughs> Guess what you say? God, I asked in Your name. I asked in Your name. I was telling these kids the other day. I said, man, these cats get up on these awards. Some of they thank Jesus for what they did. Now I'm like, now you had nine women on the stage, strapped in leather and thongs, and you running around, talking, and you tell, they going and candle. And I'm like, you think, hold on, hold on, hold on, you're thanking Jesus for that. Hold on, like, think about that. Think how culturally confusing that is. But let me bring it home. How many things you thank God for that he ain't do? Ooh, the room got quiet. Y'all was laughing at first. (laughs) Y'all was laughing at first. Another one, last one. There's a million of them, but another one. God promises not to give me more than I can bear. Now, in context of the verse, it means you got into some temptation, and then he'll provide a way of escape. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that God does allow on you more than you can bear. So what do you do with that? So the question is, many times we bring stuff on ourselves that's all about the promises of God. So because Paul wants the Galatians (coughs) to reconfigure their relationship with God and his promises through the gospel. So what is the principle we pull from that? God's promises call for submission to his timetable. Let me say that again. God's promises call for submission to his timetable. Okay? Now, next point. God's promises are eternally rooted. I'm going to come back up to these verses to explain it as we culminate. What it means according to the flesh and through promise in relation to Galatians. He says, now... This may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai or Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery (coughs) with her children but Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. This is the booger part. This part was a booger for me the whole week. I mean, this part was a monster, but we got some clarity on it. You have to understand, in Paul's day, based on this, now Paul just restated, he says Hagar had a child that was according to, born of, according to the flesh. In other words, it was a, it was a child not uh, of promise and not through faith. Isaac was the child of promise and, and, and the child of faith. In other words, he's talking about two ways to be born. Okay, so he's taught. He uses that. He says, I'm speaking allegorically. He says, listen, Isaac came because her womb was closed and it took a supernatural work of God for the birth to take place. He says on this side, even though he was born, he was born, but he wasn't the child according to the promise. So allegorically, Paul says uh, 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 he says or typologically, and I'm going to explain that. He says, Isaac represents what it means to be born by faith. Ishmael represents what it means to be born by fear. So when you look over here, this is fleshly birth. This is a faithful birth. And so as he's going through the passage, he's using it allegorically to talk about the fact that the Judaizers don't know God. And basically, he's saying those who are born according to Isaac uh, point to two things. Hagar, stay with me. All is going somewhere. Hagar and and Sarah represent two covenants. Now, what two covenants does it represent? I'm glad you asked. Now, what he does, what he does, he does something, something, something real interesting. (coughs) He said, he says that she represents Mount Sinai. Now, what would be most confusing about that? is that Mount Sinai was where the law was given. So why would you say she, like, what does Hagar have to do with the law being given? It was Sarah's children that were at Mount Sinai. But then he says, no, she corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem. That's key. In their day, Hagar's children, Arabs, um, what we would call in modern modern, uh, Palestinian, they, they were slaves over by Mount Sinai. So Paul was using... The Old Testament plus a present-day example. And he basically says, now it corresponds to present-day Jerusalem, their present-day, that is. In other words, a Jerusalem, a new temple, a new temple with, with still doing the works of the law, basically, in slavery. He's using a bunch of euphemistic language that's culturally relevant to them, but that's biblically rooted. Y'all still with me? So he says, he says so, so Hagar represents those who are still in slavery to the law. But then he goes and he says, he says, for she is in slavery with her children, right? Now, he's not saying that if an Ishmaelite trusts Jesus, they'll be enslaved. That's not what he's saying. But the Ishmaelites of his day were in slavery. So he's talking about physical and spiritual slavery kind of playing off of it. I got to explain that. So I could have just wished past it. I know y'all were like, so? But, like, I just wanted to make sure you, you understood this. Now, he says, for slavery, uh, in slavery. he said, but. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. This is banging. Jerusalem above doesn't mean Jerusalem above in this passage grammatically. Jerusalem above is a euphemism for the new Jerusalem. Now, what he's saying is, he says, they're living based on an earthly Jerusalem that was built by human hands. He says, but see, I'm not talking about that Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He said, I'm talking about the Jerusalem that was made by the hands of God. Now, you got to understand, biblically, there's always been a Jerusalem in heaven. I'm going to show you. Jerusalem was only a reflection of heaven. That's why it's called the city of God. Now, we're going to talk about what this means in relation to the birth and the gospel and all of that. But check it. See, the New Jerusalem was already being stated about in the Old Testament. How do I know that? It's so dope. It's so dope. It's so dope. All right. Over, over in, let me see which spot I want to dive into it in. Over in, gotcha, you, gotcha, you, gotcha. There you are, boo-boo. All right. <laughs> Exodus 2540 and 1 Chronicles 28.9. This is booming. It says, in Exodus 25, right? In Exodus 25, pray for my voice, y'all, standing out. All right, Exodus 25:40, it says, "And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain." turn over to 1st chronicles this is Bowman he says in 1st chronicles 28:19 all this is all this he made clear to me in writing from the hand of the Lord all the work to be done according to the plan now turn over to hebrews chapter 11 verses 10 and 16 Hebrews 11, 10 and 16, <laughs> chapter 11, it says, it says, for he was looking forward to the city that has found foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, that will look like, kind of like, God is, is preparing the city at that moment. Turn over to chapter 8 of Hebrews. The rattling of pages. Amen. Verse 5, chapter 8, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Check it out. What he's saying here is, is that the tabernacle, the tent, and the temple is a physical reflection of a heavenly reality. So what he's saying is <clears throat> the new Jerusalem is already made. That's why Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, when it, it sounds like in that terminology that Jesus is going to the place and he's going to start preparing it. But it's in, a, it's in what we call a proleptic. It means it's kind of already done, yet he's speaking as if he's going to do it. In other words, Jesus saying, I'm going to the place that's already built for you and prepared for you, but in eternity, time is always present. So when you see in Revelation chapter 21, the new Jerusalem coming down, it's been the Jerusalem that's already been built eternally. So what happens is is that Paul says, when I look at the two of these, he says, listen, y'all are fronting like y'all want all of this physical stuff. Y'all want all of this, all of this law. Y'all talking about keeping the law. But listen, fam, this Jerusalem is going to be broke down and pass away. Matter of fact, a few years later in 70 AD, the joint got wrecked. So what he says to them is, yo, stop looking for earthly things and begin to point yourself towards heavenly things. What does that look like in doing it according to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then he goes and he says, you know, most women go to this verse, <coughs> chapter four, uh, 54 of Isaiah, and they go down to the Lord as your husband. A lot of sisters I know, single, they love that verse. And I think that's a good verse. But um, let's look at the first verse. It says, Rejoice, O barren one, here, right here. And it's, it's actually in Galatians. He quotes it. He says, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So he's talking about that this prophecy points back to uh, Sarah, points presently to Jerusalem, but points futuristically when you read the whole chapter to the new Jerusalem. And so what Paul is saying is, is that in light of this reality he, he the gospel like is always going to be under fire in other words there's always going to be people that try to get you to live according to earthly realities rather than spiritual realities it's the, so so people are always going to do that that's why he says over here he says he says now he says now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Ishmael and Isaac. When, I, when, um, when Ishmael was a teenager, the, some translations say he laughed. He was, he was playing with, um, with, with Isaac. But really the Hebrew sense of the word is mocking. And so and so, what happened is, is he's still using the same illustration to show that, listen, even back then, the one who was the son of promise was being mocked and laughed at by the one who wasn't of promise. And so Paul is basically drawing lines now in the book of Galatians. He's about to say, listen, these cats are not children of Abraham. They're unbelievers. He basically begins to say, "Yo, I believe if they are going to persevere in a gospelless lifestyle, they are not Christians." He says, but he says to you, he says he calls them brothers and calls Galatians, he calls the Galatians back to faith in the gospel, just like he called, uh, just like God called Abraham back to faith in the gospel. So what does this principle require? We saw that the principle, the principle was, of course, that God's, that God's promises, page over, God's promises are eternally rooted. What's the, what's the, what's the premise of that? Finally, is that God's promises call for perseverance. God's promises call for perseverance. But then finally, God's promises are to be held true at any cost. God's promises are to be uh, held true at any cost. So in verses 30 and 31, he says, he says, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of of the slave, but of the free woman. Basically, when you go back to Genesis chapter 21, you see the mocking of Isaac. Sarah basically gets up and says, if it's going to be like this, like, I want him out of my house. Now, you got to understand, it's rough on a man when a woman say, you know, do you want somebody out of the house? This is hard. He said, I want her out of my house and her son. I want her son out of my house. And so Abraham is like struggling. And then the Lord said to Abraham, he says, Yo, it's all good, fam. Let him go. Let him go. And Paul says, just as Sarah saw her mistake of allowing her husband to get with Hagar to fulfill God's promises. I know this is mad complex. Stay with me. Just as she made a mistake caused Hagar to, to, uh, to have a, another child that would be her child of promise rather than submitting to God's promise and her having the child of promise. And she finally said, look, get out. He says, this is the same thing that you have to do as a believer with anything that competes with the gospel in your life. He says, there comes a time where you got to draw a line in the sand. And he says, you got to begin, and this this is just preaching the verses, y'all. He says, listen, anything that he said, Sarah felt like him being there would be competition against God's promises. In other words, she said, I don't want anything in the room. I don't want anything in my house that competes with God fulfilling his promises in our household. What in your life today, what in your life today is competing with God's promises in your life? Are you in a relationship that's competing with God's promises? Are you in a job situation where you're competing, where it's competing with God's promises? What in your life is competing with God's promises that you, what people, what friends? He's saying, here. look, anything that stops you from walking in in-depth faith in the gospel must be expelled. <clears throat> Basically, Paul says, I want you to get, y'all get up right now. This is what he's telling them. Get up right now. Tell the Judaizers to get out. Tell them to get out. Stop submitting yourself to people who you think you're actually receiving something from this good. He says, I want you to get the people out of your life that are corroding your ability to run with the wind in your face in relation to the gospel. What in your life is causing you to run the race, not with endurance, but with mad encumbrances and sins? An encumbrance is not necessarily something that's a sin. It could just be something that slows you down and fatigues you in the race. So what in your life, ladies, what in your life, single person, what in your life, married person, fellas, what in your life is causing you not to run the race with endurance? Some of you are commitmentless. So you don't run the race with endurance because you don't have a group of people that you're running in tight formation with. See, some of y'all got too many friends. Y'all got to me for everybody know me. What's up? What's up? No, nah, you need a tight formation of people that are beefy in the faith that you can walk with. Because when you when you open the floodgates for everybody to be buddies with, you let, I'm not talking about not witnessing, not being missional. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who speak into your life. Some of you are spiritual nomads. Even though you got a bunch of people in your life, Jesus is not the center of it. Why? Because you got too many people that are corroding your walk with Jesus. And so you're going to have to make some decisions. Just like Paul said, you're going to have to make some decisions, fam. You're going to have to make a decision whether you're going to walk <coughs> as a more beefy, beefy kingdom citizen or not. This is where he draws the line. He says, stop fronting. He said, attendance isn't enough. He said, I want it to be intensive relationship with Jesus Christ on gospel mission with people who, if I say something bug about God's promises, they can rebuke me. Tell me, God, matter of fact, that's against his character and against his word, and you be able to receive it. And you be able to walk in the beauty of the nutrition of the gospel. And then he affirms them at the end. He says, he says, so, brothers. We are not children of the slave, but the the free woman. So he's asking them to stop walking like slaves. Stop walking enslaved to anybody else but the Lord Jesus Christ. So now we we want you to re-relate yourself to the promises of God. Re-relate yourself to the promises of God. In other words, understand God's promises biblically. Don't just make up stuff. Don't think you're walking rightly in God's promises. <clears throat> that means you must understand God's context in giving those promises and how they exactly apply to the New Testament believer. That also means you've got to have faith in the gospel, in the death, burial and resurrection of the God man as the means by which every promise of God is brought to pass. Not, not and, 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 and not pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Of course, this is the message of Galatians. It's continuously, continuously repeating the same thing. But in this context, it talks about God's promises. So what is your relationship going to be to the gospel? And what, are your relation, what is your relationship going to be to God's promises? Now, I'm going to promise you today... That that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I'm going to promise you that. But the wonderful plan is a plan that's wonderful in God's eyes and not man's eyes. I can promise you that. I can promise you that if you start walking in God's promises, you're going to run out of money, you're going to run out of friends, you're going to get frustrated, you're going to be hurt. But the question is, is He a promise keeper? And the question is, will you walk in the flesh or will you walk in the spirit as the way in which that promise comes to fruition? So I can promise you, it's going to be rough. If you just trusted Jesus recently and you're wondering, like, what in the world is going on right now? Like, what, what, what is happening to me? The Bible says that that's normal. That's normal for the believer. But the issue is, far be it from us to be in difficult times and not have any promises under our belt. Because if you're walking through life as a believer without biblical promises, promises as the compass for your life, then you're going to live a very frustrated Christian life. Because you're not going to understand anything about why God allows stuff to happen and when he allows it to happen and where he wants us to go. So what we want to do In relation to this is have a group of people, I'm going to say it again, that believe richly in the gospel as not just for justification but sanctification in bringing to pass God's promises but believing God for promises that he actually promised. So I pray today that that becomes a rich part of your Christian life, that that becomes a part of a heritage, and you are a receiver of God's promises and an executor of God's promises through the gospel and through Christ And through Christ Jesus alone. Father, we thank you for all of your words. This was a beast of a passage.